The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Come back next week. We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Discover hope and healing from the other side. Welcome to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Listen, they're all around you, close as a thought or a memory. Messages of Hope. Messages of Hope. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Talking About the Greater Reality and our undying connection with those in it. We are part of that greater reality. And what do I mean by that? That there's so much more to this life than just this physical world. And that when those who we love have passed through the veil, we can still connect with them. And our guest today knows that better than most. Dr. Matthew McKee is a, or McKay, sorry, a clinical psychologist and professor at the Wright Institute in Berkeley, California. He has quite a story to tell you about the passing of his son that has caused him to explore spiritual and afterlife issues in several books. We're going to be focusing on one of those, but uh, his three books so far include a book called Why and Your Life on Purpose. So many people want to know what's my purpose. But the book we're going to be discussing that Dr. McKay wrote called Seeking Jordan is one that I know many of you who have gone through the death of a loved one, have read already because when I posted his talk today on Facebook, we got some really nice comments about how people love this book. So, Matt, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Well, I'm feeling a little scattered and I want to apologize. I'll slide into this as we go. But those of you who follow me on this show know that I live this crazy life of traveling. And we just arrived in, in Paso Robles, California, literally 10 minutes ago. And we're running around hooking up the Internet because I just I love that we could do this show from anywhere. So I'm going to rely on you, Matt, to just <laughs> help us calm down and slide into this. I don't want to shift gears too quickly, so um, I want to tell everybody that you reached out to me some time ago to write an endorsement for the book Seeking Jordan, and I absolutely loved it. There's Sometimes uh, I wonder, what if I don't like the book that somebody asked me to review? But your book is fantastic, and I pulled out my original copy, the galley copy that you sent me, and it's all highlighted and marked up, and I'm going to use that to guide our discussion as we get into it. But would you please honor us by telling us about Jordan? Um, my son, uh, uh, almost now 11 years ago, uh, 
died in San Francisco. He was riding his bike on the way home and was assaulted and uh, uh, was uh, uh, shot and killed. And I, when I think anyone who's gone through an extraordinary loss um, is is filled with a sense of um, a very disturbed sense of what, what what has happened to this soul that I love. What where are they? Are they okay? Um, do they still exist? Does that that person I love still exist? And those those questions were just burning in me, and um, I set about set out to try to find Jordan to, to find uh, my boy again. And uh, I went through lots of different processes, and the first thing I did uh, was something called induced after death communication. I went to see Alan Botkin, who's a psychologist in in uh, Chicago, and um, he used, he worked for the VA, and he used uh, used a technique called EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, and he discovered a variation of that technique that somehow seems to open the channel between here and the afterlife and allow people to actually uh, see and hear uh, their loved one. He discovered it completely by accident. Um, but has, in the years since, uh, used it uh, thousands of times with uh, people who are suffering uh, severe grief. Anyway, now, may I interrupt bought... a second here? Um, yeah. What was your belief in an afterlife before Jordan's passing? Well, I um, grew up Catholic and basically found the basic beliefs of Catholicism to not make any sense to me. Uh, and I spent most of my adult life as an agnostic. Um, about f four or five years before Jordan died, I read uh, Michael Newton's book, uh, Journey of Souls. And I began to entertain a very strong sense that there might be an afterlife, because Newton had uh, done these uh, past life and been between life regressions and um, 7,000 people uh, he he did the regression for before he wrote the book, and they all reported a very similar afterlife experience. Uh, without knowing each other's experience, they all reported a very similar thing, and that, that had a really big impression on me. And I actually learned how to do that regression. So before Jordan died, I was I was moving away from agnosticism toward a sense that there may very well be an afterlife, and I was beginning to investigate it. Hmm. Well, you were well primed then. Yeah, I I'd already begun to feel hope, a great hope. And paradoxically, Jordan and I would talk about uh, the, the things I was learning from Newton, and then when I was beginning to do the regressions myself uh, with others, I uh, he thought it was is was bunkum. He he really hmm. didn't think much of it, and uh, he thought I was kind of uh, deluding myself, um, which uh, is really ironic since, you know, since his death, he's been so much in contact with me, and there's been yeah, a complete reversal of of what he thought uh, in life uh, was going on in the afterworld. Yeah, and um, we're really going to get into that this hour. So, um, the we've talked about 
eye movement desensitization, the EMDR, on this program before for those who are suffering from PTSD and grief, but not too many, we, the, not too many people have talked about Dr. Alan Botkin. Uh, is there a distinct difference between using it for after-death communication and PTSD healing? Uh, yes and no. You you can use the standard EMDR process uh, for traumatic grief, and it it works really well. I I mean I I use it all the time with clients, and uh, I have a, a trauma clinic in uh, Berkeley, California, so we do a lot of EMDR, and 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 some of our clients are dealing with uh, uh, traumatic grief, and it works well. There's a different, um, it's a little bit different uh, vari- variant of EMDR that Botkin stumbled into. He just did it by accident, actually. And um, and I I use that I've used that as well. Uh, and um, th- this variant seems to just open the channel. And uh, mm. it's probably not worth trying to explain how to do it, but but it it's just a little different than the normal EMDR process. And uh, and I have found that uh, Botkin was able to do it about 95% of the time with people with traumatic grief. He, without telling them what to expect, he did this little variation, and they would actually have an experience, a direct experience of, of their loved one. They could see it, see that person, and sometimes often hear them, even kinesthetically feel that person. And when I've done it with clients, uh, uh, it's it's extraordinary because. Uh, uh, they they often inc- encounter that loved one with all three of those senses, and uh, and the grief is basically gone. Wow! Uh, I mean, I, I, it's it's kind of miraculous. You, uh, the, the person might have grief uh, eight on a ten scale. They're feeling a tremendous amount of pain. They have this experience of of direct conversation, direct communication with the loved one. And the grief goes down to a one or a two on 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 a ten scale. So it's it's it and it stays there. It really has this uh, extraordinary impact on pain because because you find out the two things that uh, you need to know. You find out that person that loved one still exists, right? And they all almost invariably find out, as I did when I when I saw Botkin that. They're they're happy and they still love us and they're, they're, this, the relationship is still there. Uh, it's it, we haven't lost them. We can't see them, but we haven't lost them. And so it's such a powerful uh, discovery. Uh, and that that's really that's me. that's what I do in a reading. And I've seen people that that ask me, "Can I get off of my meds now?" Because you've answered my question that my loved one is here and they're okay and they're still part of my life. But it sounds to me like there's something different here i would say it's because from what you say the clients are having that personal experience rather than coming through a medium i think that's true i mean i think it what you're describing is also a, a huge and powerful impact because my experience of seeing uh, a medium after jordan's death what uh, was i got a lot of reassurance from that uh and um but it's true that when I heard his voice, I, I heard his voice as, as not inside my head, but I could hear his voice as mm. as if it was coming from outside in the room, and wow. and the things that he said to me were so direct and clear and powerful that they um, it, it changed me instantly. 
and it changed the experience of the loss instantly. So you say that this opens some kind of a channel. Do you think it's a physiological thing or something in the uh, mental or spiritual or emotional body? Well, I think, you know, we all have some clairaudient abilities. Uh, I, I think that um, all human beings have some capacity to connect to and, and hear uh, souls on the other side. I know but we do. The, um, but I think for most of us, it's kind of masked. Uh, and we're, we're not we're not used to using that that sensory apparatus that would allow us to listen. Uh, and I think that something about what Bodkin discovered, his variant of EMDR, um, actually does uh, facilitate and open that sense that we already have, and and allow us uh, allow us to hear and see uh, what we ordinarily are are blocked. Uh, to hear and see. So I, I think it really does change something. I don't think it's on a physiological level. I think it's on a soul level. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. Is he still doing this work? Yeah. Watkins is yeah. still in Chicago and he's still doing the work and uh, uh, he's, you know, helped thousands of people, including me included, uh, uh, have this experience. Um, now, Botkin has a very high success rate. Uh, you know, when I do it with clients, I'm, my success rate is more like 50-50. Uh, mm. Probably I don't do it as well as he, he does. <laughs> but uh, when it happens, it's, uh, it, it's, it takes your breath away, the, the power of it. And the impact is instant and profound. Do you recall what Jordan said that first time that you did a session with Dr. Botkin? When you heard him there with you? Yeah, I, I remember uh, the words that basically his message was. Um, I I started I started hearing him say "Dad, Dad, Dad, Dad," and he's and, and he was getting my attention, and then I started to cry, and then he told me not to cry, and then he was still he's still there, he's still with me, uh, he's 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 doing fine. Uh, tell mom that he was fine, that he was okay. She was, my wife was with me, but did not have that experience for reasons I don't understand. But uh, he's having a message for her since he knows he can't get through to her directly. And uh, and and he, the core of the message was just those those two things that he's good, he's fine, he's he's happy, uh, he's in a good place, uh, and he's still with us. So that I, that I, was. I, yeah, these are the messages that I hear 99% of the time when I connect with souls in my readings for others. And and it sounds like the things that we want to hear. So people might say, well, you're just making that up. You talk about that a lot in your book. And so I think we should dive into that more in the second half about really coming to trust this. But if we could move right now into the fact that you went way beyond this initial contact and learned how to channel Jordan. Would you yeah. tell us how that came about? Well, once I had this experience uh, with Botkin, I, I, the, the, the nature of that experience, though, was one, one way. I, it, you, you receive the, the information. You can't really convey anything. You're, you're not engaged in a conversation. 
with that loved one. And I wanted to have a conversation with Jordan. There were, there were things I wanted to tell him and, and question, uh, questions I wanted to ask him. Uh, and uh, so in order to have a conversation, uh, I had to learn something very different. I, I went to see uh, Ralph Metzner, uh, who uh, specialized, uh, just recently passed away, but his specialization was uh, helping people make contact with the dead and have spiritual awareness. And he did uh, past life and life between life uh, regressions. And, and he, but he also taught me to channel. And uh, I, I was skeptical about it because my my sense was that this is um, requires some special ability, uh, some sensory apparatus that I I didn't have. Um, but he he taught me the process, and I from the first day was found myself able to do it, and. Um, I it started, you know, with just a, a few questions of Jordan, and the answers that I would get would be brief, few word answers, sometimes as, as much as a sentence. But it's like a muscle, and as you as you kind of exercise that muscle and strengthen that muscle, uh, it, it becomes much easier to listen at the uh, through the yes. channel and and to, and to hear your loved one, and so I would. I had the experience within a, a week or two that I was able to have significant, uh, complex conversations with Jordan, starting with just asking a question and and getting his answer. So it was a very powerful experience for me, and it was and it was not hard to do. And in in the, over the years since Ralph taught me to do it, I've taught hundreds of people to channel, and you can and and most of them find that they are able to do it in a very satisfying way. Uh, Is that something you can share with us? I'm going to do a whole workshop on this at the Omega Institute later this summer, but it it is simple. Is that something you'd care to share in brief? uh, No, of course. Um, Basically, um, first of all, you need something it's helpful to have some sort of eye fixation to just have something to look at and uh, candles work very, very well. Um, And uh, so, and and it's nice to have something that's kind of um, uh, something that's that's special in some way. And so um, I have a a candle that my daughter uh, brought back from Mexico that's behind a kind of a a glass mask. And, uh, and, and so I use that and, and that's, that's where I, I place my attention. Um, it's helpful to have a, an object that connects you to the loved one. Uh, it could be anything, something that that person belonged to that person, or perhaps something that that loved one gave to you. Um, I just use uh, a business card that Jordan had, made up when he was in high school. Said, you know, Jordan McKay, CEO of Omega. Uh, online and the, the, what he basically he, he used this as, as a card to get into uh, trade shows, uh, and <laughs> and, uh, and and it reminds me of, of kind of his, his audacity and his humor and so so that's just a little object that I use to connect to him and and, and re- remind remind me of him. Mm-hmm. So 
the other thing that's helpful is to have a place that feels very uh, not just comfortable, but perhaps where where you kind of have a sense of 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 your own identity in that spot. Like I I have mm-hmm. a desk that belonged that I that I had when I was a kid when I was in in, in grammar school, and uh, so that so I have that desk and I and I have a, a chair that uh, belonged to me then and. And so th- those objects that are very familiar and, and part of my life for all these many years, that's, it's helpful to have something that kind of grounds you in that way. Not necessary, but, but it's helpful. And it's helpful to always do the channeling in that environment. Um, again, not necessary, but I think mm-hmm. it makes it easier to open the channel. Right. Um, so, so then there are different ways of, of actually bringing the channel uh, to to an open state, but you know the simplest is to just do a, a Vipassana type meditation, uh, focusing on the breath. Um, as you bring your attention to the breath, and also usually to the sort of the core, the center of your body, down in where your diaphragm is. Just pay, bring all your attention there. Focus on the breath, and I I see the simplest thing is just to count your breath. Just count the out breath one and two and three. Get up to ten and then start over again. And so, uh, as soon as you're distracted, as soon as you have a, an, another thought, you you notice the thought and then bring yourself back to the breath. So it's, it's just like all meditation processes. Right. It's it's having a focus, uh, losing the focus as your mind starts to starts to be taken over by a thought, and then returning to that focusing element. So it's very simple in that way. There are other techniques to open the channel. There are uh, quasi-hypnotic techniques, and I taught people to use that. But even prayer can open the channel. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are there are a number of different vehicles for opening the that space. But um, uh, a simple breath-focused meditation, I think, is is very very useful. Um, so. While toward the end of the meditation, um, it's I think it's helpful to begin to um, visualize um, a, a light or orb above the head, uh, color of the sun. Let it start as just a just a, an orb or circle, uh, and then exp- and then visualize expanding expanding it upward. Uh, and as you exp- expand it upward, have the intention to connect to that loved one and have the thought of the loved one and the intention to connect. Um, and uh, at that point, what I encourage people to do is is is, is, is use written uh, uh, written communication, in other words, to, to, to write out the question that they have. Yes. Um, they've opened the channel. Uh, they've, 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 they've had the intention to connect uh, and now start literally by writing out a question. And, and what I encourage people to do then is to, uh, is to wait until a word pops into their mind. Just, just let their mind be open and the first word that pops in, write that down and then wait um, and just wait for, the, for whatever happens next. Um, usually at some point an, another couple of words will come along. Oftentimes the, the sentence will, will get finished. Uh, and, and at that point, if, if it feels like that's as much information as you're going to get with that, with that question, 
Simply write down another question. And I encourage people to write down the answers, too. Write the questions oh, yes. and then write the answers down as you're getting them. Um, it's important to rec- – I've gotten tremendous uh, comfort and, and value from the many, many conversations I've had with Jordan. I write everything he says down, and I can go back and read it. And, um, and so I think it's, it's very useful to have the answers written down so that you, you – that it isn't lost, uh, and you have this record of the conversation. And also, when you read the answers, you have this sense of of how loved you are by that that one on the other side. I, that, that feeling of love comes through in the answers. Uh, and I think it's helpful to, to go back and read them sometimes just to have that experience of, oh, I'm Absolutely. really loved. Uh, Absolutely. This relationship really exists. I'm cared for. Uh, I'm seen. Um, so, so I encourage anyone who learns to do channeling to, to just write everything down, write the questions down, write the answers down, um, and continue uh, the dialogue until it, it feels like it's over. It's oftentimes, particularly in the beginning, it takes a lot of energy. It, it, uh, there's a, I think it takes a, a certain amount of willpower to open that channel. Um, and so sometimes, in the, particularly in the beginning, there's this kind of sense of tiredness that will come on uh, uh, after a little while. And so, you know, whenever you're, you've, you've have had enough, you've communicated enough, and you feel you got, got to an end point, stop. But always at that point, express gratitude toward that loved one. Right. Express, the, you know, how, how much you value them, your love for them, and your appreciation that they've, they've shown up and uh, are there with you. So, I mean, I think that's, that's a, a crucial part of the, uh, the channeling process is the, is the gratitude and the expression of love. This is fantastic, Matt. For <laughs> those of you who might have joined us late, we're talking with Dr. Matthew McKay, who is a psychologist and the author of Seeking Jordan, How I Learned the Truth About Death in the Invisible Universe. And he found it by communicating with his son, Jordan, who crossed the veil. And... So you've given us tremendous tools. I can just feel everybody that's listening saying, oh, my gosh, this is good stuff, because this is exactly the kind of things that people teach in workshops. And it's identical in many ways to the kinds of things that I teach as well, which is why I loved your book, because the information Jordan brings through when you channel him is absolutely truth with a capital T. And that's what we're going to talk about. Some of the answers that Jordan has given you about life across the veil when we come back from the break. So everybody, be sure to join us in just three minutes after a break here. And Matt, we have so much more to cover with you. Thank you. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. 
As Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach around the world, we depend on the generosity of listeners like you. If you enjoy the programming, please make your donation today by going to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Wisdom Moment with Eric Butterworth. How much time is enough time? You ever thought about that? How much time is enough time? Time is not a quantity. It cannot really be measured. Oh, you say, but it can. I have a watch, but the watch is synthetic. There's no way to really measure time because time is a depth. It's an allness. You may say, but I only have an hour. I only have a day. And so all you do is admit to yourself and to others that you've encased yourself in a shell. And this time frame will always frustrate your creative flow. And time for you will be a matter of the clock ticking on, but it's only where you are in consciousness. So it's time to slow down, to look up, to get a sense of the eternal. And this basically is the purpose of prayer. To hear more talks from Eric Butterworth, visit truthunity.net. Get your copy of Unity Magazine this month and deepen your spiritual journey. Pastor Nadia Boltzweber talks about the need to make a holy shift. Carolyn Mace gets gutsy with God. Justine Willis-Toms dives into new dimensions. And Alberto Violdo shares an excerpt from his new book, Heart of the Shaman. Subscribe for one year and save $5 off the cover price and get the digital edition free. Go to unitymagazine.org and get a free trial issue today. For over 23 years, Liz Dawn and her team at Celebrate Your Life have been presenting transformative events with some of the world's leading spiritual teachers. Experience a Celebrate Your Life event for yourself, October 31st to November 4th in beautiful Sedona, Arizona. Explore your spirituality and open your mind to some new ideas. These events are awesome soul fests that heal and transform. Log on to CelebrateYourLife.com to find out more. More and more people are interested in a vegan lifestyle, and the numbers continue to grow. Join Victoria Moran every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central for Main Street Vegan and learn how to make the shift to help animals and the planet. Each week, Victoria shares recipes, health tips, and interviews with celebrity vegans, experts, and activists. Learn how to make a difference for animals and the planet at every meal. Right here on Unity Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back. You're listening to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. We're having such a good conversation today with Dr. Matt McKay, father of Jordan and author of the book Seeking Jordan. After Jordan was tragically murdered, Dr. McKay set out to discover if it's true that life exists beyond the veil. And he has found that answer with great clarity by a personal connection with his son. So, Matt, your book Seeking Jordan, I'm holding it here in my hands right now. Anybody that wants to learn more about it, you can certainly find it on Amazon. 
or go to the page seekingjordan.com. I just opening up at random here to the many pages I dog-eared in your book, Matt, and I, I see a line you wrote here. Telepathy and trust are how the living and the dead converse. That's all channeled writing is, telepathy. You want to expand on that? I, I, uh, when we're in the afterlife, um, we, we communicate by telepathy. In the afterlife, we're not literally speaking. Uh, there's no air molecules that vibrate. Uh, so we, all souls communicate by telepathy. And we have that capacity. Uh, we still have that capacity, even though right, we're incarnate. Now. And um, so basically, channel writing is just um, utilizing a capacity that we already have, a telepathic communication uh, with with souls on the other side. Uh, we certainly can also develop t- telepathy in terms of our in terms of embodied souls as well. But um, so telepathy is something we already have. It's already part of our arsenal for communication. Uh, it's how we communicate in the afterlife. Uh, and ch- channel writing is n- nothing more than uh, open, opening that capacity uh, and fully utilizing it. I love that you make that point because some people think it's much more involved than it is. But anybody who's lived with somebody for a long time, such as your partner, your spouse, you experience telepathy often. I mean, Ty and I will often know what the other is thinking and because you're just sharing that mind space. I know Ty always listens to my show, so that's a scary thing sometimes <laughs> to know what's in the other's mind. But Matt, you wrote, you have merely learned to listen. The ones on the other side wait for us to listen for the moment we are ready. And You know, one of the things that Ralph Metzner taught me that really in some ways changed my life is that the souls on the other side are just a thought away. As soon as you turn your mind toward that soul and toward the love of that soul, you actually on on some level are already opening the channel. That's right. Uh, And then all you have to do is learn to listen. Uh, So you're, you're opening the channel. You, uh, your, your love for that soul, the thought of that soul brings them, uh, uh, in, into the channel as well. They come to you as soon as you think of them. Uh, and, and that awareness was, uh, and, and then I would test it out over and over again. Whenever I started to communicate with Jordan, I could feel him immediately show up. Uh, the channel was open and he was there. And one of the things that's also true about souls who are discarnate is that they can do multiple things at once. We're kind of stuck because we can only focus on one thing at a time and we can look straight ahead and see something in front of us and focus on that. Uh, we really don't have the capacity to, to, to attend to multiple things simultaneously. Souls uh, uh, without bodies can actually do multiple things simultaneously. Yeah. Uh, so they can communicate to us. They can be involved in, in, some, in some activity uh, in the afterlife. Uh, they can they can be of service in certain ways uh, and and doing things that, that are very purposeful uh, and and still have plenty of soul energy to connect and communicate uh, to to us here uh, uh, in the physical world. So and, and realizing that it's just and and you know some some people actually mistakenly think 
that we're, 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 we're hassling them or taking, you know, right. imposing on them uh, by wanting to communicate it like, as if they were going to get exhausted by it or, or overwhelmed by the, 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 these communications. It's nothing could be further from the truth. They are happy and ready and, and really desire to communicate with us as soon as we can open the channel to listen. Right. And if I could just impose upon your time here, just to share with everybody who's used to listening to this show, I've been saying for months now that I'm a medium and I haven't heard from my own mother who passed in August. And I'm thrilled to announce that she and I had a wonderful conversation this past week, the first real conversation. And it happened while I was running on a track with Ty just got in that hypnotic state and I began listening to the advice that several of my guests on this show and especially you now have been saying over and over, you have to trust what you're hearing. Being a medium has really actually put me at a disadvantage because I kept waiting for some kind of awesome evidence for my mother that I didn't know. And everybody listening, get that out of your head and just listen to what Matt's been saying today. They just want to get their main message through. And once we start listening to that, then it'll open up. And that's exactly what happened, Matt, with my mom this week, that I, I finally stopped asking for evidence and said, yeah, this really is you. And I started listening and then it and it turned into this lovely conversation. So you say in your book that you were really worried when you first started this channeling process, when you, you, know, you blew out the candle and wondered, am I just deceiving myself? Am I just deceiving myself? How did you get past that point? Well, I, I have to say that I think doubt is something that is never going to completely go away. I, I mean, I, yeah. I, you know, we're, we are talking to the unseen. We cannot see, we cannot touch um, the souls on the other side. And so um, now, of course, you know, some mediums can see, but from my experience, if I can't see Jordan, uh, but I, but I, but he has so given me so much knowledge and wisdom over the years that um, has changed my life that it's softened that doubt. It's you know, I still sometimes I think I wonder how much this is, I'm distorting this or how much my own physical mind is altering the messages I'm getting. Uh, how much is this is Jordan? How much is this me? I. I, I, I can have thoughts like that, but what what has softened the doubt? I don't think it ever goes away. But what softens it is this body of communication, uh, and and that's why I encourage people to actually keep keep these re- written records of the conversations. The things that Jordan's has said to me have been so unbelievably helpful to me. I've gotten so much advice, support. I I turn to him for all kinds of things. What what do I do about this or that, uh, but but not just advice, but you know, well, what you know, telling me about the afterlife, how it works, what it looks like, and the, and the things that he says has such a ring of authenticity and such a sense of of, of uh, I can feel my body almost reacting to it. I can I can feel a sense of of unclenching in my body, a kind of a releasing yes. as as I hear things that seem absolutely deeply true. That's what uh, I mean when I said I, when I was reading your book, I've read other channel materials, and you are really tapping into truth. And and in my body, I can feel that, and so so that helps me. Um, of course, Jordan 
is very clever, and he keeps showing up in lots of other ways in my life. Um, sometimes he communicates to my clients, uh, who then tell me th- something that he's told them. Um, sometimes he um, uh, has um, shown up in dreams with people and with messages for me that that he tells he tells the person in the dream this is tell dad this mm-hmm. uh, so there there are lots of ways that he keeps rem- reminding me of um of his presence and his love and his um deep engagement in my life he, he says to me often as well he said well you know my physical body is Jordan is over, but my life as Jordan continues in our relationship and, uh, and in my relationship to mom and to my sister. So he's, it's, and he's been re he's reincarnated. He's a little girl now in in another place, but he actually is engaged. His soul is still very much engaged in his life as Jordan and in the, in these relationships in, in this life. Yeah, we need so to stop right there because you have just validated with my, what my guides, Sanaya, say repeatedly. And it's in the top 10 question I get from people who are going through grief. What if my loved one reincarnates before I get to see them? And you've just nailed it there, Matt, by saying they can still reincarnate, but you're talking to their soul. So exactly. go into that just a little more, if you would. Well, you know, you know, the. The concept of Atman and Jiva, you know, is that, that uh, you know, when we incarnate, we only incarnate a part of our soul energy. Uh, we not all of our soul energy lives in our body; only only a certain part part of it. So, part of our soul energy always remains in the afterlife. It always remains in the spirit world. And in in that and that part of us, the part of us that the part of our energy that incarnates ends up having uh, amnesia for our life and spirit, and uh, and most of our and our knowledge for past lives and all of our and, yeah, and even our knowledge of why we came to, to this earth, uh, to earth this time, what was our lesson plan, and uh, what's the karmic work that we were doing in, in doing this life, we forget it all, and we show up and have to kind of figure it out. Um, but 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 the part of our soul that remains in spirit knows everything. It knows all of our past lives. It knows all, it knows what the lessons we're working on. It knows why we incarnated this particular time in this particular body, family, and environment. What what lessons we 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 are seeking to learn there. It has all of this information. And now, if I could interrupt a second there, this is also what we I teach. I'm teaching at the Omega Institute that we can tap into our own soul not just loved ones who have passed, to get those answers of those things we've forgotten. You've probably had that experience. Yeah, you can, uh, you know, when you're asking questions uh, and doing automatic writing, uh, you can you can address these questions to, to different uh, entities. You can address it to yourself. To, to, That's what to I mean, yeah. Uh, you're, you can address it to your guides, uh, mm-hmm. because we all have we all have guides uh, who are who are helping us uh, navigate. You can address it to the loved ones on the other side. You can even address it to the divine, to to to, to all you know all of collective consciousness. Um, so you can address questions uh, to, to, to to different entities and locations. Um, and and I have found you know when I you know, 
when I do that, I get it's not like I get contradictory answers, but I get answers that feel different, that have a different quality. When I when I address questions to my dad, for example, I I get a different quality of response. Uh, and um, if I address questions to my to my own soul knowledge, so the part of me that remains in in, in spirit world, uh, I get a different uh, sense of, of of the response feels different, uh, not contradictory. But but it has a different character right. to it, right? So you have found from Jordan that we are parts of soul groups. This is something I know interests so many people. Will you talk to us about that? Yeah, the soul groups um, are. It seems like anywhere from maybe five to twenty souls will will be in a group, um, and they are all linked together. Uh, and and show up together across many many different lives, and, uh, and so it, it, you can think of a soul group as like a little repertory theater company uh, that keeps doing different plays together, and in, and in each play they have different roles. Uh, in one play, uh, somebody in your soul group might be your your partner. Your you might be married to them, and in another play they might they might be. Uh, uh, your eighth grade teacher who made a tremendous impact on you. Uh, in another play, they might be in another life. Uh, they may be uh, a dear friend or or a, a child, and so forth. So the the, the, the souls in our in our soul group, uh, we've had many different relationships with them over the course of many many different lives, and um, and these are very, these relationships are so powerful, so strong. The, the love and the affinity. Uh, that we have for those in our soul groups uh, is is extraordinary, um, and we support each other through all of time, uh, through you know hundreds or thousands of lives, and 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 through the through our our life in spirit, the soul group is supporting each other. The soul group also is kind of like a, a little uh, classroom. I mean, we we learn together yeah. uh, in the afterlife. Uh, a lot of a lot of learning not only goes on here in this very difficult planet, but it goes it continues to in the afterlife, and there's a lot of learning processes that go on there, um, and uh, and we do a lot of that with our group. Now, the soul group you might think of a soul group as being as being a, a house, and then there are there are houses up and down the neighborhood that are are nearby soul groups and we often have good relationships to, uh, to souls in those nearby groups as well um, and and so not only do we have our our own particular soul group but we also have this larger community around us uh, of other groups and 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 many of those souls we we become over the course of many lives uh, connected to and 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 have deep love for um, but so, so even there. those people that push our buttons in this life, once we cross the veil, is it your understanding then that uh, that just dissolves in awareness that these were roles we were playing for the learning? Yeah, exactly. That you know, someone uh, can be uh, teaching us lessons. A member of our soul group can can enter this life with us and be teaching us lessons as a vexation, uh, as a, as a, as a, an antagonist. Uh, but, but they're still part of our life and they're still teaching us lessons. Uh, there's someone in my soul group who was, who was a father and a pre is my father in a previous life, very difficult, uh, relationship to him. 
in this particular life, uh, he's, he's been a friend, but he's also uh, uh, an antagonist in some ways. Uh, but, but in all these cases, I'm learning from him. I'm, I'm learning important lessons, uh, even, even through the conflict, even through the, the struggle uh, between us uh, in these different incarnations. So yes, we, we can we members of the soul group can be antagonists as well as dear friends, relatives, and so forth in any given life. Now, Matt, you are a psychologist, a professor. Right. Uh, some people listening to this may say, "What is this guy talking about?" other lives and having relationships with people in different relationships and other lives. What are you basing all of this on? Regressions, right? Well, yes. Um, I, I, I learned to do um, uh, regressions, uh, past life and between life regressions. I, I learned the method that um, Michael Newton uh, pioneered. And I've done that with quite a few people, but I've, I've not done it professionally. I've just done it with people I loved who wanted that experience, and I, I provided it for them. Um, I've had the experience myself. Ralph Messner did it with me. He regressed me to quite a few past lives. And it was interesting because I got to see certain patterns there. Um, Jordan has, has been in a number of my past lives, for example, uh, like he was um, – he was uh, in one life. He was wife. Life. He was my wife, which was very kind of unsettling to realize that uh, not only was he a different gender, but we had an entirely different kind of relationship in that life. In another life, um, he was a mentor in a yeshiva. Um, uh, he was an old rabbi, and I was I was a young uh, young uh, mentee of his. Um, and in another life, he was an unrequited love. I was female in that life, and and he was an unrequited love, and and so, but we've had quite a few lives in which uh, their relationship involved loss, because uh, when he was my wife, she died early, a lot of loss, and so th- that's been one of the ways that he's been a, a teacher to me is, is teaching about loss. Um, May I interrupt you a second? Because I can just hear this. I know some people that are listening are new to this path and can be skeptical, and that's okay. And that sounds crazy to say. And my son used to be my wife in another life. But I had a medium tell me that my stepdaughter Susan was my mother in another life. This was early in my path, and I said, that's insane. But one day Susan came to me so clearly after I became a medium, became aware of that ability, and she said it was absolutely true. So I said, well, you need to send me a big sign. And she she sent me the most phenomenal sign that I won't go into here, but there was no other explanation for how this thing that she showed me came into my life than that I needed to pay attention and give some credence to it. And the bottom line is, if it explains things that go on in this life, if it helps us to find more peace and understanding, then why not go along with it? Yeah, that's. I think that's very very well said i mean i i my wife in in this life my life as matthew was my mother in another life when i lived in a pennsylvania dutch community oh my um, gosh and <laughs> that's so where i grew these, up that these, area <laughs> these on these relationships are, are different in different lives um and and so you know you wonder well what what evidence is there for this? You know, and I think one of the things that has been really important to me is uh, the work that Ian Stevenson did 
uh, studying uh, children who remember past lives. Yes. Uh, maybe you're familiar with this. He very much uh, so. Yeah. Interviewed over 3,000 of these kids all over the world who had memories of past lives. Usually, they remember their past lives somewhere between ages of three and seven or eight, and then and then forget it later. But he interviewed them while they still these memories were still fresh, and in about 800 cases, he solved it as in he was able to find who that previous personality was, uh, and and correctly and that the child correctly identified the names, the family members, uh, and then these were and in many cases these were in different countries, a country that a child or his family had never gone to, so there's so much evidence. And yeah. that Stevenson and later Jim Tucker uncovered about children who remember past lives, it's almost staggeringly uh, overwhelming the the evidence that they they acquired uh, that that seems to almost have it almost seems incontrovertible. So if anybody mm-hmm. really wants to you know examine past life uh, research, uh, it, it, even Stevenson and Jim Tucker's work is just phenomenal, and it really. It blew my mind uh, reading about it. Um, but, of course, past life, I, I would say that there's hardly a medium I've ever heard of who doesn't, who doesn't recognize that past life uh, is, 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 is part of our existence as souls. Uh, exactly. It seems generally agreed on by most people who have any contact with, with the other side. Would, yeah. would you, is that your sense? Absolutely, it is. But the the point is, a lot of people want to do these past life regressions, and they are fascinating, and they do point to issues that we have here and things we need to work on. And that's the whole point of it, in my mind. How does it change our life here and now, which is where our focus is? So, as we we have about five minutes left in the show, Matt, how has all of this connecting with Jordan since his transition to the other side changed your life, your soul's journey? Well, what there's some some very important things that I feel like I've I've learned. First of all, kind of the Judeo-Christian concept of salvation that we come here to to you know we come here once and we're, and and we're, we come here for the purpose of proving ourselves and our worthiness to be in heaven just no longer makes any sense to me. Um, what's clear is that we come here to learn. And not just once, but over and over and over again in many different lives. We come here to learn. The whole purpose of our existence is to learn. And that's and a choice. It's not a punishment. It's we, not a punishment. Yeah. This is our work. Uh, and what Jordan tells me is that each soul is engaged in this, in this very sacred process of coming to these very difficult planets, uh, interacting in a physical environment, and in that, and in every one of these places, learning how to love in the face of pain. We are. That's what we're learning how to do. How do, how do you love in the face of pain? Uh, there is no pain in the afterlife. We have to come to these physical environments uh, to learn these lessons. And, and and what we learn, the individual, each individual soul, what we're learning, is essentially uploaded so that all of consciousness, or what do you call it, the divine all there is, collective content, whatever you want to call it, is learning to. And we're all part of it. We're all we're all helping consciousness grow and evolve and learn. And it's this beautiful sacred work that we're doing. And all the all the pain we're struggling with, all of the hard things that we face on this earth, uh, are there's a there's a huge uh, 
sacred purpose behind it, and that purpose is the evolution of consciousness, the evolution, yes. our, our own personal evolution and growth, and the evolution of all, the, of the divine, of God. You, and, oh, and so, so beautifully said. I just want to sit here with my little pom-poms in the air and going, yes, yes, everybody pay attention. Keep going. And that's what I learned from Jordan. That's, I guess I'm just trying to suggest that that's the essence of what I've learned from him. That's why I'm here. That's why we're all here. It's beautiful. It's hard. There's a lot of pain. Um, and yet this pain has a reason. And it's not about finding our way to uh, proving our worth to get into heaven. The reason we're here is to learn and to grow and to evolve and to help all of consciousness grow and evolve. That is what we're doing. Um, and it, it, by, it, it, by being somehow, somehow by being clear about that, it, it makes gives my life a, a meaning and a purpose, and the pain that I suffer meaning and purpose. Uh, and uh, because it, everything that I face and go through as a human being, as a soul, uh, is for this greater, uh, greater purpose of of growth and evolution. That's right. They've, the souls have told me that when we cross the veil, our guides, our loved ones meet us and they, they thank us for this journey we've taken. And they say, what have you brought us in the form of growth and learning and more love, bringing more love into our world? Matt, you've shared so much with us this, this hour. I thank you so much. We thank Jordan. I recommend everybody read Seeking Jordan, an absolutely fabulous book with so much wisdom. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Suzanne. Take care. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Victoria Moran. Since we launched the Main Street Vegan podcast back in 2012, lots more people have discovered the way that moving in a vegan direction can infuse our lives with vitality, spirituality, and compassion. My guests are experts on every aspect of making this work in your real life and our real world. Join us for Main Street Vegan here on mindbodyspirit.fm.